Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you on this rainy Labor Day weekend. Thank you for being here this morning with us as we close out a series we began six weeks ago entitled Confessions. And um, I want to begin this morning by reminding us of the verse that has framed this whole series before we jump into your confessions and your questions this morning. Philippians chapter 2 has guided us through this series, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. In this series, I've talked about my own confessions that I feel like really identify with Solomon as he writes the book of Ecclesiastes near the end of his life. And uh, the difference is I hope I'm not near the end of my life as I'm writing my confessions in my journal. But I I put down some honest confessions that I've shared with us over the last uh, six weeks. I've confessed to you that I'm not always as spiritual as I may appear. I've confessed to you that I'm at times a lousy human being. I'm a much better human doing Then I am a human being so often. I don't spend the time that I need to, to center myself in God like I should. I've confessed to you that I'm addicted to the work of the ministry, to my job. I love what I do. I I love being a pastor. And it's easy to get addicted to the work that we do in life and forget the balance between honoring God with the Sabbath and and having the rest that we need. I I confess that that I question at times my own importance, significance, Uh, the meaning and the purpose of my life, just like Solomon did. And uh, last weekend, I confessed that I fear at times what I can't control, and that as a control freak, uh, that is one of the tension points that I find I face, is the fear of things that I simply can't control. I told our staff this last weekend, or this last week, when we met together, that I am so grateful to work with a team that has allowed me to be myself, has allowed me to be who I am. Our staff has seen me at my best and my worst. They've seen me uh, high points and low points. They've seen me doing a lot of laughter, but they've also seen me with tears at times in my life. And I'm so grateful to work with a staff that actually allows me to be myself. And I told the staff as I was sharing that with them that I am looking forward to standing here on Sunday morning and thanking our congregation. Um, In 28 years of ministry now, I can tell you that I haven't always been in a place where I felt like I could be myself. And here at Grace Crossing Church, I'm so grateful because pastoring this church has allowed me to be who I am, to be real to myself, and you have all allowed me as a pastor to just simply be myself. And I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for allowing me to stand up here and confess my weaknesses, my flaws, my brokenness, and still love me nonetheless. And there's nothing better in life than that, is there, than to know that we're surrounded by people who care about us and love us despite ourselves. And I want to thank you as a church uh, for doing that for me and my family. So why a series on confessions? Um, You know, why is it important for us to do this? Why was it important for me to do this? I, I think because when we confess, we are not informing God of something he doesn't know but rather we are informing ourselves about ourselves. We are informing us of the mindset that we need to have when we come to God and we approach God. And we cannot come with false pretense. 
uh, with, with ideas or with uh, a false image. I said in our first week that we are only as spiritual as we are honest. And when we are not honest with God, when we are not honest with ourselves, when we are not honest with one another, I don't think we can really have God's heart and receive the, the kind of grace that God wants to give us. Here's what the scripture says in 1 John as way, by way of reminder. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we, however, confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So when we confess, we acknowledge that we are all on a level playing field, that there's no one better than another, that we all are broken people that need God's forgiveness and needs God, need God's grace. We, we recognize that as we confess our sins. We also place ourselves in a posture of weakness so that God's power can be made perfect in the midst of our weakness. That's really what Paul said. Paul throughout the New Testament really appeals for that state of mind and that posture of humility that says, listen, I'm broken, I'm weak, I'm flawed, I don't deserve God's grace, I am the chiefest of all sinners, and yet God chose me to be an example for the rest of the world that when people look at me, they can see it isn't my, my strength or my power, it's rather God's power that's at work within me. And the other thing I think that is so important about confession is that confession makes more than forgiveness possible. Confession makes wholeness and healing possible in our lives. One final verse before we jump into your confessions and questions, James chapter 4. James chapter 4 or chapter 5. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that God can heal you. When a believing person prays, great things happen. So this morning, what we want to do is not simply expose our weaknesses and not simply expose our brokenness, but we also want to spend a few moments this morning praying for those who have confessed. We were absolutely surprised when we threw this out on our website. We announced it last weekend. We honestly thought we'd get a large number of questions about the series that we did confessions in Ecclesiastes and questions maybe that were more theological in nature. And what we got were just a handful of questions and a lot of confessions. And I think the reason for that is that all of us have this, this need, don't we, to feel like our, our hearts are being made right with God, to feel like we are being purged of something that's inside of us, some sin that we've carried, some, some failure that, we've, that we've, uh, we've kept secret, we've kept hidden. And so when we confess, there's some healing that comes, and I'm sure to some of those that wrote those, just writing those particular confessions were healing. So we want to take some confessions this morning, but we want to then focus on a time of prayer for those that we're responding to today and those that, that we're not going to have time to respond to for God's grace and healing. Our band's going to lead us in, in another song, and then I'm going to come back, and we're going to actually then take a few questions this morning as we kind of then, then send us out of here with some final thoughts uh, about the series here uh, that we've done, Confessions, 
that come from the book of Ecclesiastes. So Ashley, who's on our staff and um, is our children's director, also our administrator here at Grace Crossing Church, has been kind of monitoring the website and watching these questions and confessions come in. And uh, she's actually going to moderate this for us this morning and talk me through this, and uh, I'm going to respond accordingly. And um, one note to make about the questions and confessions, and we said this on the front end, but just in case you didn't know, they are all anonymous. So we have no idea um, who posted these or anything, but um, we we, we just wanted to you know, give a chance to talk about some things that people are actually going through. I mean, you usually have a good pulse on what's going on in the church, and God obviously speaks to you about what to say, but this is an opportunity for you to respond directly to some things that um, people have confessed here on our website. So um, we're going to jump right into it, and um, here's our first confession. It says, not many people know this, but my marriage is absolutely falling apart. I know people go through ups and downs. The difference is we never have ups. If we didn't have kids, I would not be able to stay. I wish there was an answer, but I leave it in God's hands and hope and pray it gets better. What would you say to maybe multiple people in this room who might be feeling that same confession this morning? Well, and I I would suspect that knowing what I know about marriage, uh, knowing what I know about the landscape of the institution of marriage in the United States of America... Um, there are a lot of people that probably resonate with this particular confession. Um, In my own life, I come from a broken family, a divorced home. Um, I've gone through it in our family, in our home, and so I recognize that marriage is tough. Marriage takes a great deal of work and sacrifice and commitment and grace. I have a great um, psychologist friend, pastor friend, who the last number of months went to be with Jesus uh, and exited this life, but uh, he, he had a statement that I like so much. He said, if you have a good marriage, there's nothing in the world like it. If you have a bad marriage, there's nothing in the world like it. Either way, there's nothing in the world quite like marriage. And I really believe that to be true. And so I think the person uh, who is confessing uh, is not alone. And I think that's the first thing I want to say is thank you for being uh, courageous enough to come out and actually confess that your marriage is in trouble, that your marriage is hurting, that your marriage is suffering, and that you need some help. Um, The good thing and the good news is that you have found some staying power in your marriage, and that be your children. Your children have given you a a reason to continue and a reason to stay in that relationship. Whenever I've dealt with people that have struggled with suicide and people that have felt like they were at the end of the rope, One of the questions I'll always ask them is, what keeps you from making the decision? And as long as they can give me an answer, I think there's hope. It's when people can't give you an answer. When they say to you, I simply don't know why. Man, my my flag goes up. My, My antenna of concern raises a whole lot higher. So the good news is you have a motivation to stay in the marriage, but here's the problem. What are you gonna do when the motivation's gone? Your children are grown, they're out of the house, You no longer have that motivation to stay in that relationship. Here's the point. Children cannot be enough to keep your marriage together. It just simply can't be enough. There has to be something deeper. There has to be something much more profound than just children. There has to be a bedrock of your relationship and your marriage that is built on something that's much stronger and is much more permanent 
than having children in your home. And so one of the statements I think they made in that was, which is interesting, I'm going to just simply hold on to God, and I'm going to keep hoping and praying. Let me just say, hoping is wonderful. Praying is wonderful. We encourage you to do both of those things. But if your marriage is where you're claiming your marriage is, that's not going to be enough. You need help. You need some support. You need to go and get some resources that will help your marriage and give you a deeper reason to stay in that relationship. Because quite frankly, there are some things, some issues that are getting in the way of your commitment to your partner. There's something that you expected in that marriage that is not materialized. Something you expected from that partner that they simply have not delivered. It may be real or it may be perceived, but either way, You've got some issues that you've got to come to terms with. And let's be honest this morning. Most of us can't do that on our own. We just simply can't do that on our own. And so we need a third party that can come alongside of us and help us. So this morning, Tim and Linda Butchery are sitting in our auditorium. Part of this church family lead a ministry called True Relationships. For the last 14 years, they have dedicated their entire energy to this very issue of of restoring marriages and restoring health and vitality in relationships. So Tim and Linda, would you stand this morning? And um, they didn't know I was going to do this. I'm putting them on the spot. And I didn't even know if you guys were going to be here this morning with us or what service you were going to come to. But I'm grateful for this resource here this morning. And I want to say a couple of things very quickly before we move out of this onto the next one. Tim is one of our elders here at Grace Crossing Church. So Tim serves on an elder team. Uh, that, that really is a part of uh, keeping a pulse on the spiritual vitality and health of Grace Crossing Church. But that is not his primary uh, job in life. His primary job, he's not part of our church staff. He doesn't get paid by Grace Crossing Church, though our church supports this ministry. But his primary focus, and Linda's primary focus, is restoring the marriage. And so can I just say to you, you're, you have a great opportunity if you're sitting here in the 930 service this morning, and we're responding to this because here's Tim and Linda. And, and I would encourage you, if you've posted this or if this resonates with you as a confession, please, please, for your marriage, for the sake of your, of your future, reach out to Tim and Linda. Say, say I need some help. We, we, we really need, we can't do this alone here, and we could really use some help. Um, and their marriage is not just, their ministry is not just for marriages that are on the verge of divorce. In fact, I tell those that I'm in relationship with that I've been a part of helping to marry, your marriage needs an annual tune-up. You probably need to go to a counselor once a year just for a marriage tune-up. It's a good thing. I can tell you everybody on our staff has been to Tim and Linda at some point for some support, including my wife and I. Okay, so this is not something that we need to be ashamed of this morning. It is just a part of how we grow and how we become more like Jesus. So, so I just want to encourage you, pray, good. Hope, good, but that may not be enough to save and salvage your marriage. Yeah, that's great. And I was going to say right now, even Josh and I are meeting with Tim and trying to get a little tune-up on our marriage with the addition of a baby. And so there's no shame in working on your marriage and trying to be the best people that you can be for God to complete the mission that he has for you. Um, All right, so the next one we have deals with um, choices that, maybe people made in their past and um this could this question could relate to anything um you know maybe that you have big regrets about but I'm going to read this next confession it says I had an abortion when I was 18 I felt I had no choice 
The shame and guilt I would feel if anyone knew would destroy me. My family would not have been supportive. I know it was wrong, and I've asked God to forgive me many times. What haunts me is that I think I would make the same choice. So do I deserve forgiveness? Let me, um, let me begin at the end of the question or the confession. Let me work backwards. Do I deserve forgiveness? The answer to that is no. None of us do. There's not one of us in this auditorium today, including your pastor, that deserves God's forgiveness. We simply don't. We haven't been good enough and we never can be to earn it. We can't do enough good things to earn it. I don't care how perfect we may think we live our lives. We are still woefully short, the Bible says, of God's glorious standards. So the answer emphatically to that confession at the end, do I deserve forgiveness, is no, you don't. Neither do I, nor does any of us. But this is where God's grace comes into play. I suspect there are others in this auditorium that are seated here today that have this in their past, and no one knows about it, just like this individual. They never felt their family would be there for them. And even today, if their family knew about this, perhaps their family would have disowned them or abandoned them. Who knows? Not sitting with them face to face. I I can't go back in history and unpack a lot of that. But what I can say is this. I can say that God's grace is greater than any of our failures and any of our shortcomings and our sins. Where sin abounds, the Bible says, grace all the more abounds and overflows. And so when we come to God with a choice that we've made that we regret, and let me just say, every one of us, if everybody knew the skeletons in our closet, we would be just like this individual. If anyone knew, it would haunt us, right? It would, it would terrify us. It would, it, would be, it would mortify us if anybody knew about the skeletons in our closet. There are things that in my life that could have prevented me from being in ministry. The choices that I made, had the consequences been there with them, could have prevented me from being in ministry today. The reality is, sometimes we face the consequences of our actions, and then we have to deal with them. And in this person's case, I think I would just simply say, lean into God's grace. Lean into the forgiveness that God wants to give you. And know that if God cleanses that, and you ask him in repentance to forgive you, the Bible says that he casts our sin into the deepest sea. As far as the east is from the west, God remembers our sin no more. It doesn't say he forgets it. It says God chooses not to remember it. There's a difference. God chooses not to keep that in the forefront of his own mind as he thinks about his relationship with us. In other words, so often we look at people through the filter of our experience with them. God says, I choose not to do that with you. I choose to look at you through the filter of Jesus that said you're forgiven and I cleanse your sins. Now, as to the issue of I, I, what haunts me is I know I would probably make the same choice based on the circumstances. You're probably in a place where that's never going to be an issue again, thanks be to God. But if you are, what I would certainly encourage you to do is seek some counsel and help because there are alternatives. There are some wonderful alternatives. Adoption being one of them, that I would encourage any person that feels desperate to recognize there is certainly an alternative out there where a lot of families are looking to adopt children that are having a tough time doing it 
Not because there's not abandoned kids, but simply the system makes it so difficult to do it. But, but if you keep the system out of it, there is a way to entrust a child to someone else pretty quickly. And I can tell you there's probably a lot of parents that would be grateful, grateful to God to have a child. And so remember the Lord's grace and also, again, seek some outside counsel uh, for that decision uh, if, if it ever would become an issue again. That's great. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, we only have time for one more, and this deals with uh, temptation and thoughts that come in and the war that we have against our, our thoughts and our mind. Um, this confession says, my confession is I struggle with having lustful thoughts about a certain man. There's no way a relationship can occur because he is married, and I would never act on my thoughts. I struggle every time I see this person because I'm so attracted to him. I pray God will help my mind not to ponder on such things. I ask for forgiveness almost every day, but my flesh still has control. Wow, that's a pretty honest, that's a pretty honest confession. Um, a couple of things I think that I would say to, um, to that individual today. Number one, your flesh is obviously not fully in control or you would have acted upon that decision. So I want to commend uh, that individual or others that may sit here this morning that maybe that resonate with that confession. When our flesh is completely in control of us, there's no restraint, right? We just do whatever our flesh wants for satisfaction. So the fact that this individual said, I'm tempted, I'm drawn, but I've not responded or reacted to it, man, I just commend you for that. And I just want to commend you and say that your flesh is obviously not in control to the point of you going through and following through with that temptation. And that's exactly what it is. The Bible teaches us that temptation is common to all of us. That all of us are tempted perhaps in different ways. In other words, it may come in a different form, but every one of us are tempted to do things that devalue who we are in God and actually live to the part of us that isn't like God. And so what do we do with temptation? We do what the Bible teaches. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, tells us that no temptation has come or seized us, has tripped us up, except what is common to humanity, to mankind. But here's what it says. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape for you. I think that's just great counsel. And the one thing we can count on as we sit here this morning is that it is God's word that counsels us through our confessions and through our temptations and through our difficulties. I would say take that at face value. God says he provides a way of escape. And God is faithful. That's his name, faithful. So he's not going to allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able, but he's going to provide us a way of escape. I don't know what that will look like for you. It looks different for all of us. For this individual, let me just be very practical about the escape. If this is a relationship with a man uh, that is creating attraction that you can avoid being around, then simply do it, okay? If, if, If that is too overwhelming for you and you find yourself in that relationship and you're putting yourself in that relationship and interaction on a regular basis, 
you got to be honest about it. you gotta be, you got to be radical like Jesus said. Jesus said, better to cut off your right hand or your right eye and enter into heaven than to go into hell with both of them. Now, he was, he was talking hyperbole there. Okay, He wasn't talking about literally doing it, but watch this. He wasn't saying take it lightly either. He's not saying take it literally, but he's not saying take it lightly. So in other words, sometimes we've got to make decisions that remove the temptation from us. But there are times we can't do that. Maybe it's a man in your job, or maybe it's a situation where you simply can't get away from that situation. Then you need accountability. You need some people that are close enough to you that love you enough that you can be honest with about that and say, could you make sure and hold me accountable with my actions? Now, your thoughts are, are completely different, but your actions, you've not responded to them yet, and I would encourage you, find some people that can pray with you, pray for you, and can ask you from time to time, how are you doing in that area? Because we all need to be held accountable, and I think it's a good thing for us to do that. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, but God's faithful who will provide a way of escape. And that's all the time for this portion. So I'm going to have our band come. And here's what, I, here's what I'd like to do before we sing this song. It's a song called Take Heart. And it's a song of encouragement for those of us in this auditorium today. And there's so many confessions we just simply didn't have time uh, to deal with this morning. But I want to pray for those who we've shared their confession this morning And I want to pray for those of you that have made confessions, and for those of you that resonated with a confession, and for those of you here this morning that recognize, apart from God, you you sin, and you sin often, perhaps, without God, and you're willing to confess that and acknowledge that. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. I want you to bow your head this morning, and I want to lead us in just a moment in a prayer, but before I do and pray for our church body, the Bible says to pray for one another. So would you take just a moment this morning, and would you pray for someone, maybe one of those confessions really connected with you today? Maybe there's your own confession you put out on our website, or maybe something this morning that before God you want to confess to him. Would you take just a moment and do that, and pray for one another, pray for others that are struggling with temptation? And then I'll lead us in prayer. We'll sing this song. We're going to take a couple of questions, and then we're going to close out this series, Confessions. Father, this morning, we pray for those who are who are broken today. We pray for those who are flawed. We pray for those whose sin separates them from God. We 
And so, God, I pray for me and I pray for everyone in this auditorium today. For without you, God, we are unable to be in right relationship because of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I thank you today for your son, Jesus, who came to this earth, who gave his life willingly, freely, voluntarily, took upon himself the sin and the brokenness of the world to make it possible for us to be made right with God the Father. I don't fully understand or comprehend, God, how you could love us that much that you would sacrifice your own son. What I do know this morning is that you did it and now you extend to us an invitation to receive the grace and the forgiveness that comes because of it. So God, I pray this morning for healing of every heart that by your Holy Spirit you would wash over our hearts today with cleansing, with grace, with forgiveness, and with a new start. We thank you, Lord, that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so in Jesus' name, I pray for those this morning, either by way of our website or in their heart today right now, are confessing. Would you forgive them, Lord? And even greater than that, would you forgive them and make them whole? In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Let us take heart today, God. Let us take heart in you today, God, because you're the one that has spoken to us that there is nothing that can separate us from the love that is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We thank you for that love today in Christ's name. Well, I can tell you that, uh, thank you, band, by the way, for leading us. I can tell you that, yeah, give me a hand. Great, wonderful. Um, Time's not going to allow us to get into uh, many questions. I think just maybe one or two. So let's jump right at it. All right. It says, last week, Gil talked about meaninglessness. He said something about how we often measure the success of our lives using the wrong metrics, such as money, promotions, awards, and successful careers. I'd love to discuss what those right or correct metrics could be. So what are some suggestions for the right metrics? Man, this is a great question. And, and honestly, that week didn't allow us to get into the other side of it. But we did talk about some of the wrong ways that we measure uh, our value in life, our success, our significance. And so often we just use the wrong mes- metrics. We, we, we measure the how much and the how many and the how often. But I don't think those are really good metrics to use for our life. And so I think to know that what those metrics are, in my opinion, you got to go back to Scripture. you got to say, God, what is it that you tell us to evaluate our life by? And I'll give you just a few things that come to my mind that I think are important to evaluate and measure our life by. Number one, love. The Bible makes it very clear that if we, whatever we do in life, what, what, whatever we do, If we don't do it through love, it's nothing. It profits us nothing. It does nothing. We can give everything we have to the poor. We can give our body to be burned as a martyr. Uh, The Bible says we can have the faith to move mountains. We can be spiritual giants in people's eyes. But if it's not motivated by love, guess what credit it is to our account? Zero. Nothing. In fact, Paul actually went on to say we are nothing without love. That's pretty bold. 
And I think the reality is everything we do, we should ask ourselves, am I motivated to do this in the right way? Am I loving God? Am I loving others? Am I doing the things that matter most? The second metric I would use is obedience. Here's why I would say obedience would be a measurement to evaluate your life by. Jesus said that that heaven and earth are going to pass away, which means everything you've done and accumulated on this earth, it's going to be gone someday. But the person that does the will of God will live forever. And I don't think it's just the person who does the will of God lives forever, but I think it's those things we do in obedience to God's will that go with us into eternity. And so sometimes obedience means you're not successful in the world's eyes. And sometimes obedience means you don't have the biggest and the best. Sometimes obedience means the metrics of the world are going to fall short of what you've done in obedience to what God has asked you to do. At the end of the day, I think that's what God's looking for is are you willing to obey me? And the final thing I'd say is integrity. Are you a person of integrity? Do you keep your promises to God, your promises to yourself, and your promises to another? Because if we are not people of our word and we don't keep promises we make, I think it's a good metric to evaluate our success by and our significance by. How well do I keep my word? So those are just some things I would share off the top of my head. Okay, great. Um, I'm just going to have a short question real quick. You alluded a little bit to this earlier during the confessions, but this question says, sometimes I think my sins exceed God's grace. How does grace shape my confession? Oh, man, that's a great because, and the answer to that is yes, it does. And here's how it does, is grace is the framework by which we can come to God and make our confession. It, It really is the platform upon which we can stand ourselves before God in honesty and openness and vulnerability and transparency and know that God's not going to knock us off the platform. Like God's not going to flick us and, and move us out of his presence. What God's going to say is you're standing on a platform called grace, which, is, which I've said it this way. Grace is the face that God wears when he, when he interacts with us. So when you think of God coming to you, when you think of you coming to God, what is the face God is wearing? It's a, God, it, it's a face of grace. It's a face of unconditional forgiveness and unwarranted or unearned forgiveness. It's absolute grace that is based upon the Lord and not based upon us. So grace really does shape our confessions in every way. Very cool. Yeah. And I think that's why we're called Grace Crossing, Absolutely, right? We want we people to come yeah. and see that face of God when they walk into this place. So, very cool. Good. Thanks. Let's express appreciation to Ashley for helping us this morning, leading us through that. Let me wrap up our series by giving you four things quickly that Solomon gives us in Ecclesiastes that I think are game changers. I think these are the takeaways of the book of Ecclesiastes, which is Solomon's journal, like his, his honest confessions. Solomon throughout Ecclesiastes is, is painting a picture for us. He's actually painting a picture of what life is like. And he gives us four illustrations of what life is like, and then he gives us in the last two chapters of his journal the counterpart to those illustrations. The first illustration he gives us in the face of life is this. He says that life is a gift. He makes it clear throughout Ecclesiastes that that life is really a gift from God. Your work is a gift from God. What you do is a gift from God. You know, eating, drinking, being merry, that's all a gift from God. 
But then here's what Solomon does to counter that. Life is a gift. So give generously. And live your life generously. Because God has gifted you, now in turn what we should do is we should use our lives as a gift and live it for God. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Give generously. For your gifts will return to you later. Divide your gifts among many. For in the days ahead, you yourself may need much help. In the financial world, they call this diversification. Don't put all of your eggs in one basket, right? What God is saying is diversify your generosity. Diversify the way that you bless other people. Because guess what happens? As you bless other people, you're building bridges. And you never know one day when you're going to have to walk across one of those bridges and meet somebody that that there on the other side is now going to help you, that you've been generous to. Because life is a gift, give your life generously. Secondly, life is uncertain. And because life is uncertain, put your hope in the certainty of eternity. That's really what Ecclesiastes is about. Solomon says everything in life is uncertain. It's all like chasing the wind. It all feels meaningless. But guess what? There is a certainty to life that we can count on. Here it is, 11th chapter. It is a wonderful thing to be alive, and everybody said. Listen, we are not an amening church, but, but every once in a while, you just like that, okay? It is a wonderful thing to be alive. If a person lives to be very old, let him rejoice in every day of life. But let him also remember that eternity is far longer and that everything down here is futile in comparison. Young people, so if you're, I, tomorrow I turn 40-something, and if you're, if you're 40-something and under, this is for you. Okay, young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do all that you want to. Take in everything, but realize, here it is, realize that you must account to God for everything you do. That's Solomon talking. That's the guy who thought life was empty. That's the guy who said it's all meaningless chasing after the wind. He had a brilliant moment in his wisdom to say that, didn't he? One day we're going to stand and give an account of what we do. Thirdly, life is an education. And because life is an education, be a lifelong learner. Don't ever stop learning. Don't ever stop growing. Don't ever stop being inquisitive to ask the right questions. I think that's what Solomon appeals to throughout Ecclesiastes. Twelfth chapter, he says this. The teacher, that's him, was very wise and taught the people what he knew. He very carefully thought about, studied, and set in order many wise teachings. The teacher looked for just the right words to write what is dependable and true. Words from wise people are like sharp sticks used to guide animals. They are like nails that have been driven in firmly. Altogether, they are wise teaching that come from one shepherd. Out of the 66 books of the Bible, we know Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, which is kind of his own personal journal. But did you know there's another book that is written by uh, Solomon? The primary book that is written by Solomon is the book of Proverbs, which are 31 chapters of driving a nail into our hearts and saying, here's the wisdom of life. Here's what God wants you to know. And when you read read the book of Proverbs, what you're finding is the, the teacher is instructing us. But where does it all come from? Why is Ecclesiastes important to us? Because it comes from one shepherd. It all comes from one source. God's trying to teach us. So because life is an education, be a lifelong learner.
And one final picture Solomon gives us as we close our series. Life is a sacred trust. Life is a sacred trust. And therefore, we're encouraged to make God the trustee of our life. When you have a trust, you always need to set up a trustee. Who's the trustee of your life? Solomon comes to the end of his journal, last couple of verses, and man, he, he just punctuates, he drives it home. Here's what he says. That's the whole story. That's all I have, folks, that's it. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or whether bad. Life is a sacred trust. So Solomon says, set up a trustee. Set up God as the trustee of your life. Because in reality, at the end of the day, you're going to have to give an account for everything you've done on this earth. For these fleeting and moments that we spend, the vapor of life that appears for a moment and is gone, we're going to have to bring it before God someday. And God's going to say to us, either well done, good and faithful servant, or God's going to say, you never surrendered to me. You never gave your life to me. You lived it for yourself. You lived it in your own strength. But all I've asked is you to give your life to me. All of your flaws and brokenness and weakness and inadequacies and deficiencies, bring them to me. Because at the end of the day, that's what God wants, is that we obey. And everyone must obey the commands of the Lord and fear him because it's our duty. I want our band to come, and we're going to close our time with one final song as we wrap up this morning. But I want to thank you for being a part of this series with us, Confessions. Um, I had somebody say to me about the third, fourth week into this series, I was told never to read the book of Ecclesiastes. This is what they confessed to me. Because I was told that I wouldn't understand it and it may lead me uh, down the wrong path. And maybe some of you have felt that way. Reading through the book can be somewhat daunting to make sense of it all. But I think it's the prism through which we look at the book. What uh, Solomon does is Solomon clearly lays out a beautiful, honest portrayal of what life feels like, but what life is like when you get above the sun. Under the sun, life feels like this, but above the sun, when you bring God into the value system and the equation of life, all of a sudden life has meaning, life has purpose, life has significance. And uh, our invitation to you this morning is that you would give your heart and your life to God, that you would turn it over through the person of Jesus. There's nothing better you can do nothing better that God would ask you to do, nothing more that he wants than your life. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.